Today's episode features bullying, thievery, and deception among reselling, among other reselling news. Happy Holidays! What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to the uh, late, I guess guess it's mid-December edition of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. If you're new to the show, my name is Ryan and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber and podcaster bringing you all of the reselling news. And we have got a massive episode today. I've got, I think, 19 tabs open for reselling news. So it's a, it is a big show. Uh, so let's not mess about. Let's get right into it. News updates. So we're going to start with uh, what most people are probably aware of. Uh, Friday evening into Saturday morning saw what can only be described as pretty historic storms that went through parts of the southeast and the Midwest, causing tremendous amounts of destruction and unfortunately significant numbers of deaths. So we'll start with that. My thoughts go out to the people and the the businesses involved in that situation. I, it's never, there's never a good time of year for that to happen, but especially leading into the holidays, just a tragic, tragic situation. So we'll start with that. My thoughts go out to everyone that was impacted by that. Speaking of that incident, eBay has, as they usually do in these extreme weather events, they have extended seller protections to any sellers that were impacted by those tornadoes in the southeast and the Midwest. They also say their hearts go out to those affected by the severe weather and tornadoes. As a seller, you may be concerned about shipping delays for items already shipped. I don't know if any USPS hubs were involved in any of this or not, but there is a possibility that there could be some delays there on top of the other delays that we'll <laughs> uh, unfortunately get into here shortly. Um, they are closely monitoring the situation and providing you with additional support and protections during this challenging time. Please stay safe, of course, and take care of yourself, your family, and your community. If you are located in these impacted areas and are not able to ship inventory, if you are able to, they recommend that you communicate with your buyers to advise them of the situation and extend the handling time on your items if you expect there to be delays. If your business has been impacted, eBay will automatically protect you and your seller performance, including your late shipment rate, your valid tracking upload rate, item not received cases due to late delivery, as long as you uploaded tracking before the case was opened and have a physical scan from the car carrier and any defects resulting from transactions that you had to cancel. They also say uh, to please note that you may see late shipments in your metrics due to this weather event on your dashboard, but they will be removed before your next seller performance evaluation, and you do not need to contact customer service at this time. So kudos to eBay, as usual, for getting out in front of this and uh, taking care of their sellers. On the other side of this issue, OSHA has opened an investigation into the collapse of the warehouse of Amazon that took place in Edwardsville, Illinois, where six people were killed. There are a lot of news stories out there about Amazon not allowing associates at the building to contact family members. Not, there's a lot of mixed reporting about whether they were moved to shelters. The article we're referencing here today does indicate that they did make an effort to get people into shelters. Um, they don't really have tornado shelters, which we'll discuss a little bit as we go through this article. But there's a lot of controversy about how Amazon has handled this particular situation. Questions over worker safety at Amazon are intensifying once again. The article says after a tornado struck an Amazon warehouse in Edwardsville, Illinois on Friday, leaving six people dead and another hospitalized. OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, has said it will open a workplace safety investigation into the collapse. Meanwhile, workers and activists are calling for more action. action. Uh, quote, this incident calls into question so much of Amazon's practices in their warehouses, says Marcos Sinaceros, an organizer at Warehouse Workers for Justice. This is not the first time we've seen workers suffer at Amazon, and we want to make sure they're not continuing to cut corners and putting workers at risk. 
Speaking to The Intercept on Monday, the Monday, 12 Amazon workers described concerns over workplace safety. Some said they had never experienced a tornado or fire drill on the job, and several said they would be uncertain of what to do in an emergency. Um, the Edwardsville warehouse, they say, is part of a vast patchwork of concrete and steel structures that have popped up in the St. Louis region over the past decade. Of course, St. Louis is a uh, kind of a hub with major highways, railroads, cheap costs, and with Americans' expectations of getting packages delivered soon after they click a link to order them. A researcher who studies the warehouse industry and the pressure put on Amazon workers to meet strict productivity quotas said even if Amazon's team did everything right in responding to a devastating, devastating tornado, it raises the question about the structure of enormous warehouses popping up across the Midwest as some climates, climate experts warn of more frequent and severe storms. Quote, we don't think of warehousing as one of the industries that's going to be severely impacted by climate change, but then you have a case like this, said Beth Gatelius, a research director at the Center for Urban Economic Development at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, at a governor's press conference, a spokesperson said that the 1.1 million square foot building had been constructed consistent with code, but Governor Pritzker raised the possibility that the current codes are not enough to meet the dangers of increasingly devastating storms. Uh, by all accounts, this storm was absolutely massive. The tornado was apparently on the ground for several hundred miles, which is just practically unheard of, particularly at this time of year. Tornado season really should be over. We had some hellacious storms that night, but obviously nothing nothing like this. Josie the cat was not pleased <laughs> uh, about all the thunder that night. Her tail was as puffy as a squirrel's. She was not happy. Uh, so this continues to be an issue. Uh, these You're seeing them everywhere. These big, almost skeletal structures popping up everywhere that are supposedly built to existing codes, but are pretty big and what, what you might consider to be not structurally sound for those kind of events. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes in the future. Uh, the hits continue to come for Amazon. They are being sued for search results full of ads that may be unlawfully deceiving consumers. A complaint to the FTC claims more than a quarter of search results on Amazon are paid ads, according to the complaint filed by a coalition of labor unions. Amazon does not distinguish well enough between paid ads and organic search results, something that could trick consumers, according to a new complaint filed with the FTC last Wednesday. More than a quarter of search results on Amazon are paid ads, according to the complaint filed by the Strategic Organizing Center. But because the company doesn't clearly label sponsored results, Amazon could be, quote, unlawfully deceiving, unquote, customers into clicking on them without knowing, a practice that raises questions about the integrity and quality of Amazon's search results. If you've done a search result on Amazon and you've looked and you've, and you've paid attention to what's popped up there, uh, a quarter seems like a small number. It seems like a significant number of the results that come up are labeled Maybe not super clearly, but they are labeled as sponsored ads. The complaint, which was shared exclusively with the Washington Post, is based on an analysis of more than 130,000 search results for popular products. As it turns out, ad sales are one of Amazon's fastest growing businesses, and the complaint alleges that the lack of disclosures on these practices runs afoul of consumer protection law. I find that kind of ironic, given how strict Amazon is in their affiliate program about disclosing when you post an affiliate link that it is in fact an affiliate link that you can get paid for. They are really, really strict on that and they will bring down the ban hammer on your Amazon Associates account very, very quickly if they find you in violation of that. But in essence, they are doing the exact same thing with their sponsored ads. The coalition's researchers determined that the company was substantially or entirely out of compliance with all of the federal guidelines to ensure ads can be easily distinguished from the organic search results. Uh, the FTC in 2013 updated the guidelines and directed companies to use prominent borders, shaded boxes, and clear text labels to mark ads. They say, quote, any method can be used so long as it is noticeable and understandable to consumers, the agency wrote at the time. 
However, researchers have found that none of the thousands of Amazon ads they analyzed complied with all of the FTC guidelines and that none of the ads they surveyed used shading. I feel like over the last week or so, I've seen more shading in the sponsored ads, so Amazon may already be responding to this in some way. In one search for jewelry, Amazon displayed multiple ads with gray boxes appearing across the top of the page and within the results, but it also used, they said, the same shading in the organic results, rendering the two types of results indistinguishable from each other. As I mentioned, the company often uses the term sponsored to label ads, but in 22% of all the ads in the analysis, it buried these labels with a small and light font housed under sections with big, bold titles such as highly rated and today's deals, the complaint found. So uh, Amazon is getting blasted and sued once again for deceptive practices might be a bit strong, but certainly let's call them ambiguous. (laughs) Uh, They have also lost a massive fine in Italy. Amazon was fined $1.3 billion for abusing their market position. It is the one of the biggest fines of its kind. The company is accused of using its dominance in the online shopping world to steer Italian sellers into using its logistics service fulfillment by Amazon. Hmm, that sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, Amazon, of course, says it will appeal the decision. Just last month, Amazon and Apple were both fined by Italian antitrust regulators for allegedly conspiring to limit the supply of Apple and Beats products. That fine was $77 million or 69 million euros, uh, a relatively drop in the bucket compared to today's judgment. The investigation has ascertained that these functions of the Amazon.it platform that are crucial for the success of sellers and for increasing their sales, said the ACGM in a statement. In doing so, Amazon has harmed competing e-commerce logistics operators by preventing them from proposing themselves to online sellers as providers of services of a quality comparable to that of Amazon's fulfillment. Amazon, of course, would tell you that their service is better, bigger, stronger, faster, but that issue notwithstanding, uh, these conducts have thus widened the gap, they say, between Amazon's power and that of the competition also in the e-commerce order delivery business. So this is probably something that we're going to continue to see happen with Amazon, and you may even start to see it with some of the other ones who are consistently pushing people towards using revenue generating services that as we'll get into here in a little bit seem to predominantly benefit the platform rather than the seller moving on to the united states postal service uh well i'll give you a quick update (laughs) on my current situation Uh, i talked about last week that i had 19 i think Uh, open cases for missing packages with the United States Postal Service. That number is now up to 25 orders that are currently lost, missing, not moving. Uh, Two of those 25, to be fair, one was delivered last night, and the other one this morning shows that it's moving. So there's a little bit of stuff freeing up, but it's still, I've got 25 open cases with USPS as of today. I already have five refund requests, which I'm trying to stall as best I can. Uh, I have my local postmaster involved in this, but uh, it's it's pretty bad. I've got one guy that has gone totally Karen, <laughs> uh, just really sent a, a nasty, nasty message and has already left me negative feedback. So it, I don't know. It feels like to me that overall the service from USPS this holiday season has probably been a little bit better. I've got way more cases, but of these 25 that are currently open, 19 of them are from the exact same day and the exact same shipment. So my situation is probably a little unique, but uh, nonetheless, if God forbid, none of these packages ultimately get delivered. Uh, it's going to cost me north of $500 <laughs> uh, worth of refunds. So uh, Merry Christmas to me. Uh, it seems like a good time to remind you that there is a donation link. Uh, if you'd like to contribute to the channel in the show notes and the video description below, uh, any contribution would be helpful because this looks like it's going to be a bit messy. But anyway, on to uh, 
the post office uh, article on e-commerce bites asks the question, are these rate hikes going to drive sellers to FedEx, UPS? Not so fast, they say. Uh, shipping increases, painful as they may be, aren't likely to send online sellers, they say, scrambling to commercial carriers like UPS and FedEx because those carriers are both raising their rates next year as well by nearly 6%. But the article points out that within that headline number lie significant pricing variations that could drive costs even higher for sellers using certain shipping classes as well as other variables like package dimension and shipping zone. So like we talked about over the last couple of weeks with the United States Postal Service and their 22- and 30-inch package surcharges, FedEx and UPS are implementing similar things for kind of non-standard size packaging. Uh, This firm did an analysis of the commercial carrier's rate increases, modeling what its customers spending over the past year would look like under the new rates. And more than 97% of shippers, they say, would see their rates increase by more than that general 5.9% increase that has been announced owing to the various additional surcharges and fees the carrier announced. They say some companies will be hit particularly hard. For example, we found that businesses that use FedEx Ground Economy, which was formerly known as SmartPost, uh, which was an option aimed at people like us, small and medium-sized businesses, will see an average increase of 26% next year. They advise you to take a really good look at your shipping practices and kind of your size of package and take the time to do the calculations to determine whether or not UPS, FedEx, or USPS ultimately in the end is going to be the better option. This study seems to indicate that in many cases, even with the increase, the United States Postal Service will still be the best and cheapest option. Moving in now to the realm of takedowns and infringement notices, we're going to come at this actually from two different points. This first article, which appears on The Verge, says takedown notices are threatening online thrift shops just as business is exploding. They cite the example from, this goes back to 2020, Jade Myers, a successful seller of secondhand clothes on Poshmark, came across a trove of designer swimwear and apparel at a thrift store that she knew would be a hit with her shoppers. She shelled out for dozens of the pieces, prepared and photographed photographed them, listed them on her shop ornamental stone, and within days, the listings turned into an intellectual property nightmare. The pieces she had found, it turned out, were from a brand called Anya X We Wore That, which is a designed by fashion influencer Danielle Bernstein. You can tell I'm not into fashion. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> um, after she was alerted to these Poshmark listings, she jumped into Meyer's DMs on Instagram and begged her to take the products down. She said they were unreleased samples that had been mistakenly donated to charity by the brand. Of course, the two were not able to reach an agreement on payment after Myers pulled the listing to sell back to the brand. And then Bernstein took the legal route. Lawyers representing the label sent a letter claiming Myers was infringing on their trademarks and copyrights by hosting the goods on her stores. Now Myers' revenue was at risk, and they were threatening to shut down her entire store. This experience uh, rippled through, they say, the fashion and reseller corners of social media, and it's just one example of a phenomenon small businesses say they've struggled with for years. We've talked about similar episodes on this show before. Takedown notices, trademark infringement, things like Velcro and onesie and those kind of things where sellers are just trying to sell something they picked up at a thrift store and a big brand comes in and says, no, no, no. Uh, Listing secondhand products from fashion companies like Michael Kors, Dior, or YSL could find you facing an IP notice trying to block or restrict your sale, say online sellers. These takedowns can destabilize independent merchants and jeopardize their livelihoods. You go out and you spend a bunch of money on this stuff thinking you're going to be able to sell it. And all of a sudden a vendor comes in and says, no, you have to take that down. You're out the money. You're kind of stuck. It's, it is not a pretty situation. Sellers also now say that overzealous takedowns are getting more and more intense across different platforms, just, of course, as consumers are beginning to embrace secondhand fashion over buying directly 
from manufacturers and big box retailers. And I think that is where this all comes into play because we've talked about on this show, I don't know how many times, about how big retailers, manufacturers, and companies are now getting into the resale game. And as they see their own products on these mom and pop shops, that represents a potential profit loss to them. And they are now, of course, they're now financially invested in that situation. Before, they didn't seem to care because they didn't realize there was all this money to be made. Now that they know that there is a financial benefit to selling this stuff, they're all over it. Uh, Online vintage and secondhand sellers describe a delicate dance they must do in order to stay in business and that even when they follow the rules, their shops are at the mercy of platform-specific policies and the rights holders. Montana Bowman, who's a longtime Etsy seller who specializes in vintage hats and clothing, got an IP got IP infringement strikes every so often as his business grew over the years to get his products restored. He, of course, had to reach out to the brand directly, convince them his product is used and authentic, and get them to notify Etsy that the IP claim had been withdrawn. However, of course, not every band brand returns his emails. A particularly frustrating situation, he points out, uh, was from a company that makes truck parts named Supreme. There is another company by the same name that is a streetwear brand, and they claimed infringement on the item despite it being the wrong company, but they never responded to Bowman's inquiry. So here you've got a case of essentially mistaken identity, and the company won't, won't respond at all to try to clear it up. So the guy is just stuck. Uh, this summer, he got strikes resulting in the removal of three products, a vintage hat by Mack Trucks, which is now owned by Volvo, and two Jack Daniels baseball caps. I have sold in the past Jack Daniels baseball caps, so I don't have any listed right now, but will they come after me at some point down the road? Because, yeah, if I find some Jack Daniels caps, I'm going to buy them because they're good money. <laughs> uh, in late September... While still waiting on a response from the legal teams for those companies, Bowman logged into his Etsy store one morning to start work, only to find a big red banner saying his store had been suspended. Another seller recounted getting a final warning before possible suspension the day before his wedding. Now, of course, Etsy would have no way to know that. Uh, it's just bad timing. But uh, Bowman, for his part, says he was available, eventually able to get his shop restored, but only after having to hire a lawyer to communicate with Etsy. He went weeks without his store, which resulted in thousands of dollars of lost income. He says it is so easy to take something down, and it is so, so, so difficult to get something put back up. Legal experts point out that what sellers are doing is allowed. You can resell items you've purchased, whether it's a 30-year-old commemorative t-shirt or a sweater you found at a thrift store that still had the tags. According to the first sale doctrine, once the original owner sells a product, you don't need their permission to resell it as long as you're honest about the condition and its provenance, how you came upon the item. Says uh, Yvette Liebesman, a professor of law at St. Louis University. These legal sales can get caught in a net cast by brands that now have, as I mentioned, a financial incentive to search for counterfeits and unauthorized resellers through takedowns. Small businesses often have no recourse, even if they know their sale is legal. It's hard. I would not be in a position financially to hire a lawyer to fight a claim over a single Jack Daniels hat. It just wouldn't be worth my while. Some of the bigger resellers, maybe it would make sense. But for a lot of us small fry, you would just take the thing down and probably and be done with it. They also point out that there are a couple of pieces of legislation which are designed or at least being sold as an effort to cut counterfeit sales. The Informed Consumers Act, which we have talked about here numerous times, would require online marketplaces to take additional steps to verify the identities of high-volume third-party sellers, although, as we've talked about on this show previously, high-volume, the threshold for that is fairly small. Most of us would qualify um, under those guidelines. There is also the Shop Safe Act, which has received pushback from online selling platforms, which would open up the platforms to lawsuits unless they take certain steps to prevent counterfeit products. Liebesman and critics of the bill say the legislation, as is, could end individuals and small businesses' ability to sell products online. And as I mentioned earlier, they point out the shift towards secondhand shopping has been a boon to resale apps and sellers, but many small businesses feel increasingly inched out. A flurry of takedown threats can spread panic 
in the seller community last month, many sellers on TikTok realized they had all received the same email from Shopify, notifying them that the platform found branded or trademark goods in their shop. Sellers were required to fill out a form acknowledging the products and attesting that they were genuine or risk losing their stores. Not coincidentally, I'm sure, earlier in the month, Shopify was hit with a lawsuit in which major publishers alleged it was allowing pirated textbooks and other learning materials to flourish on its platform. So be cautious out there, I guess, with what you're selling and, you know, take this thing seriously. Um, the, The companies are coming after you. Unfortunately, it's not only companies that are coming after resellers, it's other resellers. And this is kind of in the vein of the bullying piece of it. Uh, Etsy craft sellers say they're unfairly elbowed off the site. Competition is getting fiercer and some sellers of handcrafted knickknacks, jewelry, and home furnishings are accusing their rivals of dirty tactics. Over the past month, Eliza Davis has racked up 43,000 likes for a viral TikTok post in which she claimed a competitor had shut down her Etsy shop, Scorpio Moon Rising, abruptly halting sales of her witchcraft-themed holiday ornaments by falsely claiming that she had violated a copyright. Davis said the competing seller who runs an Etsy store, uh, Mim and the Anvil, filed a trademark registration for fairy orbs that she claims had nothing to do with her, quote, spell balls, which are filled with herbs, charms, and other witchcraft-themed ephemera, She says, I find this frustrating, not just from the perspective of one small business attacking another, but this happened, of course, during the holiday season, meaning my products has less time to sell before the USPS shipping cutoff date. And of course, timing is everything. Everybody's trying to maximize their business for Q4. If you can go and shut down a competitor, why wouldn't you do that? So um, not, not pretty. Uh, Etsy yanked the ornaments on November 9th. She was eventually, on November 24th, able to get them relisted. The seller who initiated the complaint declined to comment to, I think this is the New York Post, citing upcoming legal proceedings. So uh, Etsy has issued takedown notices for sellers of handmade toys, clothing, furniture. Those takedown notices have jumped 60%. Last year, the most recent data available to more than 54,000, according to their own website. The takedowns, of course, spike around Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, quote, it's typically competitors trying to slow down someone else, according to Brett Saucer, a partner at the law firm Saucer Summers PC, which represents sellers in these disputes. For its part, Etsy appears to be trying to comply strictly with the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA, which can result in taking down sellers' items on a single, unsubstantiated complaint. The problem, Saucer says, is that Etsy is effective relying on the honor system, taking the word of the person who submits the infringement complaint. He said sites like Etsy do little, if anything, to vet those complaints, but they are super quick to remove the targeted listings. Complaints of poor policing abound. One seller who listed an owl keychain saw it removed after a complaint claimed it violated a Harry Potter copyright. He said, or she said, I'm not sure what it is here, uh, quote, it is indeed an owl keychain and there is indeed an owl in Harry Potter, but that's where the similarity ends. I looked at my listings and my tags. There is no mention of Harry Potter in there at all. Meanwhile, sellers targeted by the bogus claims say they've tried in vain to get help from Etsy. This is a super common complaint I am hearing about Etsy. They literally have zero seller support, said one Reddit user who was also shut down by a what they believe is a fake Warner account in the case of the Harry Potter claim. They don't have chat, they don't have the phone, and they never answered the email feature. So Etsy's customer service apparently leaves a lot to be desired. If you're a seller over there, you can let me know what your opinion of their service is, but I see regularly that sellers are very unhappy with how Etsy responds, or in most cases does not respond at all, <laughs> Uh, to their complaints. Filing a copyright infringement claim on Etsy requires no proof aside from a signed attestation of the claim's truthfulness. They fill out a three-page form, including links to the offending merchandise. Targeted sellers can file a counterclaim, and if the other seller doesn't respond with a lawsuit, within 10 days, the items can then be reinstated. Uh, Etsy, however, can also withhold revenue from the targeted seller's sales for up to 90 days if it considers the seller quote, unquote, a risk. So, and that is something that um, 
we talked about, I think a couple of weeks ago, that a lot of folks were having funds held up in their accounts. So it is, uh, it's not good over there on Etsy. I'm going to jump into the chat here real quick. Uh, TRB collectibles, Ryan of the 25 orders, are they all media mail? Uh, maybe just beside the regular handling time, there is an additional holiday time. People just need to chill and understand shipping time. Yes, they do. <laughs> uh, I could I could go on a whole rant about this, but people are so, we've talked about it before, they're so spoiled by, I think, the Amazon Prime next day, in some cases, same-day delivery. They expect instant gratification. I think smartphones and social media have contributed to that as well. You can you can get virtually instant gratification for just about anything. And people just, for whatever reason, expect things to work 100%, 100% of the time. And that's just not how things, unfortunately, work in the real world. So they don't understand delays. It's, it's a mess. And it happens every year at the holiday. And this situation also happens every year at the holiday. Uh, better health blessings. This hits home, especially as I'm on a three-day restriction. Vero on eBay. Uh, only one package to ship out. Ouch. Yeah, it's this thing can devastate your business if you get a two or three-day suspension during the busiest time of the year. It can be hundreds or even thousands of dollars. So uh, not not pretty. Moving on to. Uh, the thievery, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on these, but I just found these to be really interesting pieces and a bunch of them popped up all at the same time. This first one in, uh, Redwood city man accused of stealing home Depot merchandise and reselling it from his home. Uh, nice picture here of all the stuff he had taken Redwood city man arrested on suspicion of stealing from home Depot stores across the Bay area had the merchandise displayed on shelves in his garage as if it were a hardware store. A prosecutor said Eric Crossman, 24, stole, sold the stolen items out of his home with customers stopping by to pick up their purchases. In New Jersey, an Amtrak engineer has admitted to stealing and reselling 114 chainsaws. The man schemed for more than eight years before investigators finally put a stop to his operation he is facing up to 20 years in prison for taking hundreds of chainsaw parts meant for Amtrak projects and selling the pieces to buyers across the country, raking in thousands of dollars. Jose Rodriguez was brought up on charges of taking 114 chainsaws and hundreds of additional replacement parts and reselling them for a profit. Of course it was a profit. They were stolen. <laughs> uh, his cost of goods sale is even less than my, you know, 10 cents a book. It's a zero. So uh, outstanding. He'd been accused of selling the equipment directly to buyers or through online auctions. He has admitted to using the U.S. Postal Service to mail the pieces to buyers across the country, which raises it to the level of uh, interstate fraud, I, if I'm not mistaken. Between March of 2012 and July of 2020, in total, the government estimates that the 40-year-old, 49-year-old earned over $76,000 from reselling the parts. And... Lastly, Delta police nabbed thieves stealing packages and reselling on Facebook Marketplace. After getting tipped off about missing shipments, Delta police believe they've exposed a theft ring and have seized $45,000 worth of goods that could have been on their way to Facebook Marketplace. On December 10th, they received a report in apparently early November from a delivery service that was suspicious of activity happening at a distribution facility. An investigation by their crime reduction unit found an alleged internal theft ring. I have actually dealt with one of those in my uh, previous life as a retail manager back in the late 90s. I was a general manager for a Best Buy store, and we had an internal theft ring of people stealing televisions and laptop computers and all kinds of stuff. It was tens of thousands of dollars worth of merchandise that was ultimately found in one of my associate's apartments. So <laughs> uh, this is not new. This has been going on for a long time, but uh, obviously really interesting around the holidays that these things have all popped up at the same time. There is There are so many ways to make money in this business. Uh, don't let thievery be one of the ways that you choose to do it. Um, let me go back into the chat here. TRB collectibles. They were saying on pure hustle podcast that stealing from Lowe's and home Depot has significantly increased this year across the country. Yeah. I've seen a lot of reports of that and you've probably seen in the news reports of, uh, it seems like it's particularly on the West coast, the like smash and grabs where a mob of people will just 
bull their way into a jewelry store or whatever and just start smashing cases, grabbing stuff and heading out the door. So uh, desperate times, I guess, out there. E-commerce Bites has an article up uh, about the recent Poshmark edition of electronics. They are now allowing the sale of electronics on the Poshmark platform. The mobile shopping app built its brand focusing on fashion, utilizing the concept of closets. The article asks the question, can it stay on brand by branching out to attics or basements, they say, or other rooms of the house? Their FAQ over on Poshmark regarding its new category show how different it is from its bread and butter items, such as the following, quote, will Poshmark honor warranties on electronics items? The answer was Poshmark will not be able to honor manufacturer warranties or be part of the redemption process. Of course, they have no relationship with the vendors, so they would not not be able to participate that on that. I don't know if you bought a new item from Poshmark, if you could take that receipt to a repair shop and use it as proof of purchase for a warranty claim, but this would make me real suspect of buying electronics over on Poshmark. Certain electronics, they say, can be considered fashion accessories. The policies on Posh outline the types of electronics that can be sold. They include things that you might normally expect, like wearables, cell phones, and accessories, but they also include computers, laptops, and parts, and video games and consoles. Currently, the site still states that Poshmark is the marketplace for women's kids and men fashion and accessory, new personal care products, select home goods, select pets items, which are all things they've added over the last couple of years, and now select electronics. If you are an electronics seller, would you consider adding Poshmark to your list of outlets for your goods? Do you think it would be beneficial to have, for instance, a computer listed over on Poshmark? I Kudos to Poshmark for trying to grow their business. No, I have no issues there whatsoever. I don't know if this is the right solution to that. I don't know if I, I, I for my own part, I don't sell enough electronics that it's going to make a big difference to me, but I don't know that I would go over there. We talked about at the beginning with Amazon and their advertising situation, how it's become such a big part of their business. We have talked about numerous times on this show, the new eBay Promoted listings advanced beta, which is going on, which is the cost per click advertising method where you pay to have your listing bumped to the top of the search results. And if a customer clicks that listing, whether they purchase the item or not, you are charged whatever the fee was that you bid for the click. Uh, My personal opinion on this, as I've discussed before, and as I posted on someone's Instagram post or Facebook post the other day, I I don't think this is effective for most of the items that most people will be selling on eBay. Uh, It strikes me as a total cash grab by eBay. And this, while the database support this conclusion, this makes me feel like it is even more of a cash grab. eBay has advised sellers not to let their eBay ads lapse after Christmas, and it provided data to back up its claims saying that shopping doesn't end on December 25th. Around 3.1 billion searches occurred last year between December 25th and January 31st on eBay. The announcement came out on Monday as the Christmas cutoffs for shipping carriers are days away. Um, My personal feeling is if you have not made a shipment already, it's unlikely (laughs) unless you're using priority mail uh, to get there. And even if you use priority mail, I'm not sure. I had a package coming into me of some ephemera items from another reseller, thank you very much, that was due to arrive on a Monday, and I don't believe it arrived until Thursday or something like that. It was multiple days late, even though it was priority mail. So caution to all of you who are shipping stuff, uh, these cutoff dates, I'm not sure that they, they really mean anything. The article, the claim goes on to say the holiday rush is almost over, but that doesn't mean you should end your promoted listings advanced beta campaigns early. eBay also shared some results of a survey on buyer intentions in the blog post and said extending your promoted listings portfolio campaigns through the start of 2022. So don't just do it through the end of the year. Get it into next year, too. (laughs) Uh, We'll keep listings in front of buyers in a shopping state of mind and jumpstart your 2022 marketing goals. Make sure to extend your campaigns today. So are you using, is anybody out there successfully, let me let me put it that way, successfully using this promoted listings advanced technique 
and generating sales. I've seen multiple posts where people have trialed this for 24, 48 hours a week or more and have spent not insignificant amounts of money in many cases and have had no results whatsoever. So let me know if you are successfully using this method. Uh, I have, as I've mentioned previously, I have no interest in in participating in this, but... (laughs) Uh, TRB Collectibles says that's an interesting direction that Poshmark is expanding into. I don't know how many people would actively look for electronics on Poshmark. Yeah, I feel like they're really going to have to advertise that. They're going to have to promote that that is a new addition over there because it is not a natural place, I don't think, that you would think to go to look for a video game console. Um... This has been going on for a couple of weeks now. I almost brought it up last week, but I wasn't sure how widespread it is. It turns out it is very widespread. eBay is sending requests to sellers for updated W-9 forms. A writer into e-commerce bite says, I received a red banner alert in my seller hub stating that eBay has been notified by the IRS that the tax ID number, which in this person's case was their social security number, attached to my account does not match their records. They say, I have multiple accounts on eBay, all with identical business info, and only the one account received this message. Absolutely nothing had changed with their uh, personal info. All accounts were successfully converted to managed payments over a year ago, and I received a 1099K form for all of those accounts last year without a hitch. Got a formal letter in today's snail mail stating that if I don't respond by 1217, they will begin withholding 24% of my payouts going forward. That's to comply with the federal government's backup withholding tax regulations if you do not have tax information on file. I also received both of these notices just like they did. Nothing has changed. I've had my eBay account since the year 2000. (laughs) Uh, It has always been Ryan T. Shoemaker doing business as Galaxy CDs, and yet I received this notice and had to fill out yet another W-9 form for eBay eBay has given, as you can tell from this, people what at the time amounted to about a week to 10 days to comply with this. I did mine online. I also sent a copy, a hard copy in by mail. God only knows when that'll get there. (laughs) Uh, But we'll see how this goes. I've not received any information back from eBay that it's going to continue to be a problem. Over on Etsy, however... It is already a problem because Etsy has already frozen some seller accounts over these tax updates. Etsy, like eBay, is notifying sellers that they must review and or update their taxpayer ID and their address or risk having their accounts frozen in January. However, some sellers are reporting that Etsy is already freezing their shops, of course, during the height of the holiday season. The post over on Etsy's board says starting in January of 2022, shops that don't have taxpayer information on file will be frozen as they near the threshold. That is the new updated $600 threshold for reporting that we've talked about numerous times for the uh, 1099K. In order to ensure there are no disruptions to your selling experience and payouts, please update or review your taxpayer ID and address before the deadline. They cite this new regulation, which goes into effect in tax year 2022. Payment processors like Etsy and PayPal, they point out, must issue these forms for sellers this year who process over 200 transactions and that total at least $20,000. Next year, it drops to 600. So let me know, have you gotten a notice like this from any of the selling platforms that you play on? Um, I was quite surprised actually to receive this having done business for multiple years on these platforms and having gotten 1099s from them from the last couple of years, um, it was very shocking. Uh, And again, especially at the holidays to have to deal with this kind of issue when we should be focusing on listing and selling stuff. Uh, Tim over at Have Fun Flipping, I'll start using promoted listings advanced when eBay pays me to, right? (laughs) Uh, To me, it seems like we're paying for a billboard ad and then paying for a second billboard ad right next to it. Yeah, I don't, And it goes back to, I think it's particularly bad on Amazon where they have such a huge preponderance right now of sponsored ads showing up in their search results. I can see eBay kind of going down the same path. It is one way for them to grow revenue without actually growing their business, which as we've talked about over the last couple episodes is actually shrinking. They are, their customer base is down. 
their sales volume is down, their dollar volume is down. So this is a way to boost sales uh, without actually doing more business. TRB collectibles with taxes, I always make sure to do it right. So this way I don't have problems going forward, even without requesting it. I've always reported my earnings. Don't want any problems. Absolutely. We've talked about that numerous times. We have always been responsible for reporting this income, whether we met that threshold and got a 1099 or not. A lot of individual sellers will give them the benefit of the doubt and say they did not honestly understand that that was reportable taxable income, whether they actually got a 1099K or not. A lot of people felt like if you didn't get that document, you weren't required to disclose that information on your tax return. And that's not actually correct. And some of that is just, some of it is literal ignorance, just not being aware of it. Some of it is willful ignorance and some of it is just people that were trying to pull one over (laughs) uh, on the IRS, which is why this regulation has changed, I believe. On to some good news, uh, finally. I've been talking for 45 minutes, and it's essentially mostly been bad news so far. (laughs) Uh, So let's, let's do something a little more uplifting. All eBay stores can now upload videos to their storefront. eBay had announced back in March, we talked about it at the time, that it was adding the ability for sellers to add video to their stores. And on Thursday of last week, it announced that the capability was available to all sellers with an eBay store. They explain on their help page how you could do that. Select the store tab in Seller Hub, which is also a new feature on the Seller Hub. Go to the About section and select Add Video in the pop-up. Choose your video, which obviously you had to have recorded previously. Once the video is uploaded, you'll see a message saying that the file is being reviewed. This review typically, they say, takes 48 hours. Once the video is ready to be uploaded, select Publish. The first frame of your video will be the image customers see first. So make sure that you're smiling (laughs) Uh, in the video or that you have like a logo or some kind of background in your video. So the first frame is something other than just a random shot of like a messy work area like mine in the background here. They note that your video should be in MP4 or .mov format, less than 150 megabytes, and comply with eBay's images, videos, and text policy. They mention several third-party services for video creation that you you can use, including Canva, iMovie, Magisto, Vimeo, Vista Create, and WeVideo. So uh, let me know. I I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to put a video up on my store. I I honestly don't know how many people visit the store. I wish that was something, um, maybe eBay does, and I'm just not aware of it, that was a metric that showed on the Seller Hub how many visitors you had actually to your store. That would be really useful information. uh, I I wouldn't get rid of my store because there are so many benefits to having one, but I don't know how many people actually go to the individual store and look for stuff. Um, there's a question over on e-commerce bites about whether eBay has a new international shipping program on the way. Uh, they say is they, they say eBay, eBay is, I think they meant to say is eBay readying a new international shipping option. The company is currently surveying sellers to get feedback on what features they would like to see It is not clear from the survey. If this will be a new shipping option or would replace one of the existing shipping options. The global shipping program was launched in 2012. That's the program that I use. Uh, Under the program, the seller is only responsible for sending packages to a domestic address and then eBay's shipping partner takes over from there. I love that aspect of it. I get it to the center, which is literally 25 miles away from me, and then it's no longer my responsibility. The eBay International Standard Delivery Program launched in 2020. The survey says we're evaluating opportunities to enhance and simplify our current international shipping experience. That would lead me to believe they're looking for a way to combine these two programs maybe into one somehow. We'd like to get your feedback on the features you find most appealing. We're also looking to get your input on the names we're considering for this potential new service. Thank you for taking the time to provide the feedback. The survey is administered by a third party and should take about five minutes. Please complete all of the questions appearing on each page, responding with open and honest answers. Any information you provide is confidential and anonymous. I did not receive that survey. Again, you can let me know if you receive that survey and what your thoughts are on eBay's international shipping. Do you use one or the other or both of these programs, or do you use 
something like pirate ships, um, whatever their international shipping program is, uh, that would be that would be interesting. I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do. TRB Collectibles says, going back to the Etsy conversation, I really hope those Etsy sellers that are being threatened with legal action have an LLC because that could really affect them personally. I don't know. I, that, that's a point, obviously, very well taken. I don't know that there's any intention to like sue these people back into the Stone Age. I think they really just want these people to stop selling items that they feel are being infringed upon, copyrights and trademarks. So, yes, um, I, again, None of us are lawyers, probably shouldn't be giving legal advice. An LLC is certainly a great way to protect your personal assets, separate them from the business in case you are sued in a case like this. I don't get the impression from the articles that I've read and the research I've done that most of these firms are trying to get big financial rewards from small-time sellers. They're just trying to, I guess, limit people from selling products that they themselves feel that they should be profiting from. Interesting report overseas. Uh, This really surprised me quite a bit. Vinted reigns as the number one resale marketplace in the European Union. A study carried out by Cross-Border Commerce Europe has found that Vinted is now the number one secondhand marketplace in the EU and the UK, overtaking eBay. That cannot make the folks in San Jose very happy. According to the organization's report, the secondhand resale market is, as we've talked about previously, projected to double by 2025, reaching up to 34 billion euros. Further stated that that market is growing 11 times faster than that of traditional resale, putting it on route to becoming twice as big as the fast fashion sector by 2030. That is all stuff that is essentially... Uh, ripped from the ThreadUp report, I believe, on the future of resale. Uh, they list the top 10 reselling markets in Europe for 2021. Vinted, which is a Lithuanian platform, tops the list this year, achieving a score of 70 out of 100. They don't really specify how what the criteria was for these ratings. It overtook the U.S.-based eBay, which topped the list's first edition last year. It boasts $2.75 billion in gross merchandise volume, and a resale market share of nearly 40% in Europe, which is massive. That is a big, big number. Its growth was partially driven, they say, by the acquisition of United Wardrobe, which saw the two resale platforms join together to expand their footprint. Etsy, they point out, now owns two of the top 10 marketplaces following its purchase of Depop in June. So there's the list. I will, as always, link to this article and all the rest of them in the show notes and the video description below. I, to be honest, I'm not sure all of these will fit in the show notes <laughs> uh, over on the actual podcast because uh, there's a limit of so many characters and 19 articles is a bunch. So you may have to go over to the YouTube channel if you want to read any of these articles. TRB Collectibles, uh, I think I would add video to my eBay store. I think it adds a level of confidence in my buyer knowing who they are buying from. I don't shy away from sh- sharing my YouTube channel with a business card. I've I've done that as well. It helps to personalize and set your business apart. So there's certainly something to be said for doing that. And a video a video seems to be a very impactful way to reach people. So it's probably a good idea to do that. There is another article um, about people are breaking up with their Pelotons. The pandemic, they say, sparked a fast and furious love affair with Peloton. Now comes the breakup. The first sign that the pandemic bubble burst came last month when the company revealed sales of its Peloton stationary bikes and treadmills fell 17% in the most recent quarter. Those two machines make up 60% of their business. These things boomed, of course, during the height of the pandemic when gyms and whatnot were closed down. But as they have begun to reopen, people fed up with the inordinate amount of time they spent at home, rushed back to their pre-COVID routines. Peloton CFO Jill Woodworth said, it is clear that we underestimated the reopening impact on our company and the overall industry. Now, fewer people, they say, are buying a Peloton machine and those who already have them are trying to sell theirs. The resale marketplace offer up said the number of people seeking to sell their Peloton machines has jumped since April. It's seen a 77% increase in Peloton sellers versus a 25% increase in people looking to buy. 
Mercari said they have seen a 1,336% surge year over year from January to December in the sale listings of Peloton branded items, which include exercise machines and related gears. And as if all that wasn't bad enough, last week, the reboot of the show Sex in the City, which is not called that, it's called something else, uh, but they apparently killed off a major uh, character in the show immediately after they rode a Peloton. Uh, Peloton stock actually dipped significantly (laughs) uh, after that show, which is just crazy to me. Last thing we have this week, um, this is another of those cases where I I think the press kind of gets the reselling market wrong. Banksy, the underground artist, released some t-shirts exclusively for sale at particular shops over in the UK for $25 or 25 pounds, I should say, each. They were in Bristol. They were for a fundraiser for some folks who are in some legal trouble over there. And uh, they were available at five stores, hundreds of the gray souvenir shirts, uh, again, in aid of four people facing trial in relation to the toppling of a statue of slave trader Edward Colston during last year's Black Lives Matter protests. Um, So good on them. But uh, as they point out, uh, these shirts that were available for 25 pounds within hours of being purchased, listings on eBay started to appear. Some are marketed at a few hundred pounds each, but some cost as much as 2,000 and one is up for a staggering 9,000 pounds, 360 times its original price. The problem I have with this article is that the headline says they are being sold for 9,000 pounds. And that is not accurate it is it's being listed you can list an item for i could put up this fine scale modeler magazine that i'm working on for a million dollars that doesn't mean it's going to sell for a million dollars somebody lists these shirts for nine grand if nobody buys it the item has not sold for nine nine thousand pounds so i think i feel like the press needs to do a much better job in how they cover the reselling business in general. In, in kind of the big picture, they do a pretty good job of talking about the trends, how it's growing. There are articles virtually every week that we could talk about where they highlight an individual seller and how they develop their success and how you too can start and grow a reselling business. But articles like this, I think, do kind of a disservice to the reselling game in general. With that, we've been going for almost an hour today. If anybody has anything else they would like to say in the chat, speak now or forever hold your peace. We will not be here next week. It will be, what what is that? Christmas Eve, 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 the 22nd. So I will not be doing a show next week. I'm going to give myself a week off for good behavior. We will return on, I think it is the 29th of January for another show. So mark that in your calendar. Uh, If you would... Do me a favor. If you're watching on YouTube and you got something out of this content, please smack that thumbs up button. If you are not a subscriber to the channel or a follower of the podcast, I would appreciate your support there as well. That would be awesome. Uh, TRB Collectibles, how were your sales this week? This week was actually much better than last week. It's still not a great Q4, but it was up significantly over the previous week. Um, I'm seeing... Again, as I go through the various Facebook groups and Instagram posts, mixed things. Some people were up the week before and down last week. Some people are just down regularly. So it's been an interesting Q4. Uh, congratulations on breaking 600 subscribers. Thank you. It was That was a really long slog from 500 to 600. <laughs> uh, I know this format probably doesn't suit everyone, but... Uh, Thank you to the people who have subscribed. Thank you to the folks who tune in to the podcast every week. Uh, It consistently is doing 140-odd listens. So I appreciate everybody that um, takes some time out of their day to spend some time over here with me. So with that, uh, since there will be no episode next week, I'd like to wish all of you a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is that you celebrate in your world. I hope you get to enjoy it with your friends and family. I hope that the next, whatever the window of time is, where we can still get shipments out for the holiday is successful. I have noticed, interestingly, that the lines at the post office this year are not anywhere near as bad as they were last year. 
I had numerous times last year where I literally would be waiting outside to get into the post office. And this year that has not occurred at all. So the lines are way, way down, which kind of fits in with the USPS projections that package volume was going to be down almost a billion packages this year versus last year. So that's really interesting. Anyway, enough rambling. Have a great week. Uh, Sell some stuff, celebrate Christmas, enjoy the time, and we'll see you back here in two weeks' time on January 29th. And now, it is time to sell. Abrate the holidays. How do you like that? You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.